0: Welcome to The Systemic Way. In today's episode, Julie and I speak to Nana Bonsu and Derek Dyer about their interest in, work in implementing systemic ideas into the world of social work and children and families services. Nana Bonsu is the head of service for systemic clinical practice and adolescent services. And Derek Dyer is a service manager of Croydon, looked after children and leaving care services. Um... Also to say that I, I worked with Derek for many years as, as in my previous role as a social worker and we know each other well, so seeing his development as a professional and seeing where he's taking the ideas of systemic practice to the, the as a service manager was fascinating to see and um, we really hear about their passion, their commitment and their drive for systemic ideas and how important they are for supporting families. in in the world of social work. What stood out for you, Julie?
1: Well, I think the words that come into my head is that they kind of show what is possible in that, you know, they just clearly... Um, talk to us about when you have systemic ideas running through a whole organization implemented from the managerial level um, what that might look like and I found that really exciting I kind of wanted to download a job application <laughs> and go and work with them so uh, yeah that's 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 what it said for me
0: yeah it really felt like there's a real energy a systemic energy um in Croydon and it was really good to hear um how much they're they're driving this this approach and their manager at the time was Nick Pendry who was a director of children's services yeah yeah it's an example of how systemic can come from the very top and be kind of implemented for a whole system
1: so absolutely
0: yeah hope you enjoy Welcome to the Systemic Way, a podcast about all things systemic. My name is says
1: um, My name is Julie.
0: Um,
2: my name is Derek Dyer, and I'm the Service Manager for Social Work with Children Looked After uh, for the London Borough of Croydon. And my name is
3: Nana Bonsu. I'm Head of Systemic and Clinical Practice in the London Borough of Croydon.
0: Lovely. Thank you both for coming and agreeing to give us your time to talk about how systemic ideas work within the world of social work. Um, I know, so in Croydon, it's, it's, a, it's a big drive at the moment, is it? Is, what, what is the kind of environment of systemic practice in social work within Croydon?
3: Well, so I started in Croydon last year, June, um, and my remit at the time of joining was the systemic practice service lead. And my role was to come along and support the embedment of the practice framework in Croydon so I wrote a practice framework which we launched in the autumn of last year and within that practice framework systemic practice is the bedrock and there are a number of relational intervention techniques including motivational interviewing restorative practice and strengthening families some local authorities may refer to it as signs of safety so they are all if you like interrelated in terms of being relational in their focus, recognising that families have strengths and wanting to work collaboratively with families around the process of change. So we launched that in September last year. And then um, I guess prior to Derek and I both, because Derek joined in July, so a month after myself, but prior to us joining, Croydon had had a relationship with systemic ideas before They had procured training from an independent agency, um, I think maybe around 2018. Um, So there had been some staff who had been trained in systemic practice, but the appointment of our director, Nick Pendry, who is a systemic psychotherapist and social worker and has been a clinical lead as the director, meant that from a kind of high strategic level, there was a huge significant investment and the will to work in a systemic way and to do it at a kind of huge structural process of change. Um, so we launched in September and then we procured training from the Centre of Systemic Social Work to continue our journey. The Institute of Family Therapy had also supported our training of senior leadership members and some service men- service managers. So there was a kind of whole, if you like, uh, contingent of staff who had been trained or were on a training journey and staff are currently still on that training journey. And the idea being that we support social workers and practitioners to hold systemic principles and ideas in mind to help them with the work that they do in Croydon.
2: And there's a particular challenge in that, I think, for wherever you are trying to introduce systemic ideas. Um, because people are always at different stages of the journey, aren't they? Uh, and especially for people that are new to systemic practice and are being introduced to it, um, in children's services and in social work, there's, there was a question that I used to ask myself, which was, what was I like before systemic practice and what am I like afterwards? It's almost like you, you do a training course, and you then expect to have the skills and you then know to do it. But of course, what we what we know is learning systemic practice and becoming a systemic practitioner is not a case of before or after, but it's a journey that happens for different people at different times and there are different light bulb moments and different things that happen. So there's a challenge for any organisation that it wants to implement a systemic practice framework because, of course, it's also a very individual journey for, for the people that are doing it.
3: Yeah I think one the, yeah I guess one of the things that make you know you're right, Derek, I think what one has to do is to build the structures that will make it permissible to practice in this way. And yeah. I think so structures are things around our reflective peer group supervision, structures around the training, structures around having a clear practice framework that talks to how we wish to practice in Croydon, so that one is not just being taught something in isolation to what is happening structurally and organisationally. So there has to be a synergy in order for staff to be able to talk and think in a way that will land and not seem out of kilt with what the rest of the organisation is doing. So I think there is a number of if you like, different contextual factors that need to be aligned in order for it to land. But as Derek is saying, I agree, it's still a process that one will, you know, speaking therapeutically, understanding these ideas and thinking about its application requires one to um, take risks and to be courageous in order to start to make it make sense for you. Mm-hmm.
1: Thank you. I was I was just curious, and then it's a question for both of you, really, about how you got in, introduced to um, systemic ideas and practice. I think that mm. you sort of touched on it a little bit.
2: For for me, I, um, I had systemic training in another borough that adopted the model. Um, mm. So um, this is my second experience of. Uh, what Nana was just so eloquently described of trying to implement systemic practice at an organizational level and the things that need to be in synergy for that to happen. Um, so so I, I, I underwent the training as a senior practitioner uh, and, and it was a, a training specific to the borough I worked for then um, and I, I'm currently going through the training now with Croydon um, and it's really interesting that each time you come up against those ideas, you engage with them in a slightly different way, and in slightly different context. So I'm now in a senior management position, and and and, I, and how I think about some of the things that Nana's described, which is making it happen at a whole service level rather than at an individual level in supervision. Um, so I'm engaging with those those ideas now as a senior manager, and my context is different, um, and. Uh, so yeah, so I, I, I've had that I started that experience somewhere else and then I, I guess I've brought some of that into the context that we're in now. Um yeah. Yes, I guess my
3: relationship to systemic practice, I my background is uh I'm a social worker, I've been qualified for 18 years now. Um and I was working in a London local authority that had um a community-based assessment centre and one of them was two community and one residential and I remember talking to a systemic psychotherapist and being curious about what she did what did it look like and what she said chimed very much with what I was doing already you know could you be in a room and talk to a number of people in a family and try and get them to think about what's going on for them and I thought that's what I do every day Um, so I did some training at Prudence Skinner. I did my first two years there at St George's Hospital and then I went on to it and did my master's there.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I wanted to connect actually. Um, so I, I trained, I was first introduced to the systemic ideas at, at the same time as, as Derek, at the same, same local authority. And yes, very much the different places where you study, it, how that influences your experience. Mm. I wanted to connect what, what you said Nana as well about the the kind of um, you know coming in and I- embedding these ideas into a local authority mm. and when we experienced it I don't know what your experience is like Derek but it was there was a certain narrative in the air amongst yeah staff maybe and and that we weren't doing things right so now mm. that someone else is coming in to teach you a new way to do a job that some people have been doing for very a long time and doing it very well as well Um and there was a lot of resistance from some people, and in different levels of of the hierarchy, if I, if I can use that word. So I'm interested in how it's been received in Croydon, where it's led by Nick Pendry, um, mm. and how that kind of top down has influenced the implementation of a new approach in, in Croydon. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Oh, thank you, Dave. I was just thinking that's quite a
3: good question, Susan. I think contextually, um, Croydon, at the time of of Nick's joining, was rated inadequate. So contextually, if you like, there was a sense of there needing to be something different. Um, As I said before, there had been a, a relationship with systemic practice before, but I don't think it had been done at the kind of strategic level that it is currently and there were a number of other, as I said relational techniques being used but there wasn't a sense that they were being done in a kind of a whole systems way mm-hmm. and I think that um the invitation to do something different was there in the fact that you know Nick was appointed and then the leadership team changed as well there was a, there was a change of the leadership team so I think symbolically the local authority was in a process of change and renewal. And I think, therefore, the landing of what we went on to do didn't feel, I mean, I'm talking from my perspective, other people may have a different opinion. Uh, Although it's a mandated course, and we're saying to people, this is how we wish to practice, therefore you must do the training. I think the aesthetics of how we've landed it came at a time when there was a lot of renewal in the system. And I think that then enabled it to feel like this is the start of something new, this is the beginning of something else, this is going to look different to how it went before. So perhaps that enabled us to land it in the way that we did. That's my perspective, as Mm -hmm. I said. I'm sure there'll be other multiple perspectives.
2: And I think that's absolutely true. I think there there is the real... Uh, opportunity to embrace change and systemic practice has happened in that context and it is obviously obviously I say obviously um, to have somebody who is a trained family therapist who is able to talk to staff about systemic practice has its advantages on anywhere where you've got a local authority senior management team that Think it's a good idea and that are adopting it, but have I'm not qualified family therapists and are not haven't practiced it. So of course it is the case that um, you know when when Nick talks about uh, family therapy and when Nana talks about systemic practice, they are able to do it from a position of of, uh, of knowledge, and therefore there is a real sense of leadership in the, in the uh, in the workforce in terms of how it's landed. Um, So that is absolutely present. Um, But again, it happens in different teams and in different ways and at different levels. And I've brought with me my passion for systemic practice and, and, and the way it had a personal impact on me as I was developing my sense of it. And I've brought that into my service. And I do that with my team managers when we meet. And I have one of the things I do quite a lot is use a lot of circular questioning. Um, And that's something that's quite meaningful for me. And I I pose three questions and I get people to talk to them quite a lot. My team managers, in the way that they run their groups with their staff, have the things about systemic practice that they particularly connect to. Mm. Um, And individual social workers going into work with families have the things about it that resonate with them. So I suppose there's something about the context of... It's great to have a leadership that is not only committed to it but is eloquent uh, about systemic practice. But at the same time, it is, it is multi-layered and it happens for people individually, and they they mm. connect with it in different ways. So, yeah, I think the other thing to take on board as well is that
3: you know it's been a whole system change. So you know, right from my executive director, the senior management. You know there's a layering of every people that have done the training so it isn't just located in one strata of the organization so that then enables i think that ability to have conversations that will land as i say in a way that won't seem alien or won't seem out of kilter with the
0: culture of the organization and, and this, i'm hearing the kind of when you have a strong leadership and an impassioned leadership um, it will it will kind of improve the kind of how how it's received from from how it's been in the last year. Um, what, what's this what's the, been the kind of your experience of the staff response? So, when I say the staff, I, uh, just the social workers' response, the kind of frontline social workers, um, uh, have they have they been open to it? Have you seen it being received quite well?
3: I think it's interesting because uh, you know I think there's. M- Depending on your vantage point, you know, you'll have a sense of what is going on in the organisation. So I can talk from the vantage point of our monitoring visit with Hofstede that happened in October 2019. Very clearly etched out in there that the systemic practice was something that staff were liking, that they were able to use consultations and that it was having an impact on their work. And in our recent Ofsted, which we were unfortunately given a good. And again, it very clearly stated in there that staff morale was high, staff liked the change of culture, staff were enjoying the training. So that, that has been really great for me, certainly, to, to receive that feedback on that scale. I've had individual conversations with social workers. Derek and I talk often and think about how is it landing? How does it look operationally? You know, one can have a vision, but one has to then make it work operationally on the ground. I think the challenges that I've had in terms of implementation is that we had an Ofsted inspection and that was a full Ofsted inspection. So I suspended the training during that time because I thought it just was just too much for staff to attend to that and the training and then sadly Covid has come and that has resulted in us having to change the way, firstly we had to suspend because we couldn't be with each other face to face and then we had to reconfigure with the Centre for Systemic Social Work how we were actually going to deliver the training. So I think maybe on on a kind of, on a different strata, it may feel that it's been a bit stop-start and it hasn't been in a way that people would have liked it to have been. And certainly, you know, when we procured the training, nobody knew Ofsted was coming and nobody knew that COVID was coming. So we've had to adjust and we've had to, you know, reconfigure in a way that enables us to still hold on to our systemic selves because I think in the danger of uncertainty, and Barry Mason's paper talks that quite well, that we can revert back to what we know, what feels safe, what feels comfortable, and almost forget about where we've been on our journey. So it's almost having to hold on to that in the face of such um, uncertainty,
2: really. It's quite an incredible time for for Croydon to have gone through the Rostead it, and then so shortly afterwards to within a couple of weeks, within a couple of weeks to go into a lockdown situation. And it, it, we almost didn't have the time to reflect properly on the offstage and on the Sorry. amazing achievement yeah. um,
0: uh,
2: before all of this happened. And then we, we had to think again and systemic practice in a virtual environment is worthy of a paper in and of itself. I think,
1: mm-hmm. um,
2: there's something about, in terms of how I, as someone working at operational level, and I know that Nana has seen this as well, one of the really powerful things about systemic practice for me, in in a context of risk and in a context of very challenging work, is that is kind of the power of pause uh, and the self-care that can come from uh, reflecting with people about how they engaged in a particular situation. You know, there's a there's something about um, systemic practice which challenges some discourses about professionalism, that when we are being professional, we should be clinical, that we shouldn't uh, talk about our emotions or our feelings. We shouldn't say I or me. Um, and there's something very powerful that, that I think the workforce in Croydon Um, have really been able to connect with, which is talking about them in their cases and the use of self and the impact of cases on them. And I think that that all contributes to the workforce feeling motivated and valued because we're also thinking about what the experience of them is Mm. working with risk and working um, with a lot of toxic stress um, Mm. that can be something that's really relevant. So, in sort of answering your question, what's it been like for the staff over the last year? I think that thing about the use of self and self care and how systemic practice relates to that is a very powerful thing in social work with children.
1: Thank you. Can I jump in and just ask a question? Because I think, yeah, thanks. I just, I mean, it connects to what Derek was saying, I think, about use of self and self care. Um I sort of something went ping in my head, Nana, when you were talking about um what's supported or what you can hold on to of your systemic self during this time of covid and and I was just wondering if you could speak a bit about what that's meant for you um what you yeah
3: yeah, I think it's interesting because um Nick actually he uh, he he gave me a task of um running a kind of mini um meeting with my senior peers and I wrote just a small PowerPoint presentation and he gave me the title. I think it was something about how can we hold on to our systemic selves in this time, something along those lines. And what I thought about was the Lang paper around the domains. So the domain of production, the domain of aesthetics and the domains of explanation. And thinking about in the early times of COVID where we as an organisation had to categorise the families we were working with according to risk in order to ascertain which ones were going to be face to face and which ones would be virtual and the domain of production was extremely high and extremely important and if you've read Lang's paper et al you'll know that they don't position domains as good or bad or right or wrong it's about self-reflexivity and having an awareness so i think holding on to and recognizing the importance of the domain of production that we need to see children we need to make sure they're safe and that we do it in the way that we can but how can we still attend to our systemic selves So that we don't lose the art and the meaning of what we're doing, Um, and I think those uh, that experience kind of triggered, and you know, my heads were fantastic because they then shared it within their service areas, and it triggered conversations. So lots of conversations were being happening in different parts of the organisation about yes, we had to attend to the domain of production; it was necessary and it was important. But how do we ensure that we attend to explanation and aesthetics and we don't lose our sense of what we work so hard to do um, and, 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 and the journey that we've come on thus far and where we wish to continue to go to? Because the worry could be that we'd be, get so organised with safe certainty that we would lose the
2: art of our systemic selves.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And that, there, were two, um, there were two observations Um that I've made about uh, kind of people's, my systemic self, other people's systemic selves during uh, COVID and working in a virtual way. Um, there has been, that the social workers have been having daily check-ins with their team managers as opposed to a fortnightly team meeting. And one of the things that they fed back is they feel closer as a team now than they did do when they were having a fortnightly meeting because they've been having a daily check-in. So there's something about the relationality of it um, that has brought people together. And that's been something that's, that's, that's been uh, uh, really positive for people. Um, and we have begun during the lockdown to offer systemic consultations between different parts of the service. We've done quite a lot between social workers and independent reviewing. Um, so part of that is about relationship building with different stakeholders Um, I suppose you could say in the broadest possible context and there's been a real challenge because one of the things that you lose is the micro interactions and the subconscious communication that happens when you see each other so there is something about facilitating a a therapeutic environment or or a relational conversation online, a, a systemic group supervision, that um, there are advantages to it and there are challenges to it. Um, and I have found some models. there are different techniques, aren't there? So you can do the bells that ring model and have a presenter and a consultant and a reflecting team. I have found that quite challenging to do virtually um, because I think there is so much which is about what is happening between the people in the room that I think a lot is lost virtually using that model. But one of the models that's worked quite well is doing a circular um, position of everyone speaking to a dilemma in turn and then perhaps having a more open conversation. So we've had to be a bit reflexive about how we facilitate conversations in a systemic way. Mm. And, um, and people have adapted. You know, it's, it's been truly wonderful to see that lots of people at the beginning of their systemic journey uh, and so doing it virtually it is challenging for them but they've embraced it and there it's always nice to see when that light turns on uh, and someone really starts to understand the value of systemic practice is always a pleasure to see Mm -hmm. and um and and i've been seeing that
0: online as i've been facilitating those (laughs) um I wanted to comment on two things that I just heard actually um, what Nana said around the kind of non-hierarchy of the domains was just I was like wow like how mm-hmm. about, that, that that felt big for me to hear that you know and I think there's, there is a bit of a um, I don't know maybe it's maybe my con- misconception of there is a bit of a hierarchy you know domains and you need to remain in the kind of therapeutic arena of aesthetics and um, maybe that's because of my development and where I am in my career at the moment but hearing hearing that was quite liberating Nana thank you and yeah a minute within it's about self-reflection and it's the, the yeah
3: because I think the danger of anything that you position as is right or wrong or good or bad is that you lose a sense of what what value it brings. And there is a value and there is a need to recognise that we do need to adhere to the domain of production. You know, it it would be morally irresponsible, for instance, if we didn't attend to statistical data that showed us that we were not seeing children or we were not timely with our assessments or that children were left wanting when we referred them to services. That would be immoral. Um, so it, I think maybe you're right, says, and it's you know quite courageous of you to say maybe where you are in your learning, you're you know you're maybe shutting out some ideas because of your background as a social worker that may have governed your practice thus far, and you're leaning to others, and others seem more uh, meanable and more um, exciting to you. But I think in order to be able to land systemic ideas in a number of contexts one has to be able to move between the ideas in a way that fits so I see the land paper for me as a way of helping me understand how do we move in and out of those domains according to the context that we're in and according to what's necessary and and needed at that time.
0: Thank you. And the other bit I wanted to reflect on is um, the comment Derek made about in the kind of shift in COVID and how the kind of the, the relational aspect of checking in um, more regularly than team meeting is, is become important. And I wanted, to, I wanted to come back to the importance, but I wanted to share a bit of a story, Derek. I don't know if you remember this, actually. Um, when you're <laughs> uh, you in trouble now, Terry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <Ain't> worried. <laughs> we could edit Bend this. <laughs> but you really <laughs> try to embed that whole checking in into our team meeting. And um and it's some people were just like, Fine, I'm fine. And it was like one word answers. And um and it just how painful it was sometimes for people to kind of put a little bit of themselves out there. Like I've had a really tough day or, you know, I've got a tough day ahead of me, really difficult meeting. And it, that conversation wasn't a part of that team's culture at the time. Um, but the, I remember you know, it very well. Yes. Uh,
2: I, I, I came back to that. I started, in, I started my career in that looked after children's team. And the idea of coming back to it as the team manager was terrifying to me. Because I thought, I have no rights. This is where I started my career. And I had such a successful experience of managing team meeting in the previous team I had been in. I thought, I'll be able to come in and it will, will be exactly the same. I'll take my model there and I'll do it here. And I introduced the idea of checking into team meeting. And everyone went, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. Nobody took any relational risks. And I thought that the amount of self-doubt that that instilled in me, who was taking quite, a, I would say, something about my weekend or, or an argument I'd had with my partner or something that was happening for me professionally. I made a point of doing the personal and the professional. Um, and, um, and I took a massive relational risk and I remember uh, how, how difficult that was. Um, and and it came to a point about three meetings in where I stopped everyone and I said, I want us to think about what it communicates to each other that nobody is willing to check in, no one's willing to engage in a discussion, be it professional or personal, uh, and um, and about the lack of trust. Um, and I'm really curious about what that's about in this service. And slowly but surely, people began to start. Yeah. Like, actually. You know, I I took my cat to the vet this morning and I'm feeling quite upset. Well, that's a, that, that is what was happening for that person at that time. And I think <laughs> there's something so powerful about, and it's, it absolutely speaks to what Nana was saying in terms of moving in and out of the domains. If you acknowledge people at the beginning of that discussion, the power of checking in. Then it enables you to say, and I've used the I've used the rucksack model before, where I've asked people to describe what's in their rucksack, and then we have uh, metaphorically put them outside of the room. It just enables you to go into mm. actually, this is what we're here to do now. Um, whether that is acknowledging the production element of it, and it's right to say that in Croydon there has been, we have needed to work on production because we've been in a, in an improvement context, and I. Mm. It is not, uh, it's no secret that that's been a reality for Croydon. We were extremely proud of the journey that we made to get rated goods. Mm. Um, part of that was implementing systemic practice in a context of making improvements as a borough. Yeah. And that yeah. absolutely meant working in production sometimes. The really important thing for me is that we acknowledge when we're doing it. Mm. And I think that's part of people becoming consciously competent about when they're using systemic ideas is not to say, well, we have to sit in aesthetics. We have no. to sit an explanation. It's about saying we're going to be working in production here today and actually I'm going to be quite first order about how we do this. And so there's there's absolutely something about how you language that mm-hmm. and how you, how you create that time at the beginning to give people the space to be aesthetic or even mm-hmm. at the end or mm-hmm. however you want to manage it. And moving, moving between those domains is is a uh, part of relational reflexivity.
1: Mm. Thank you. I get quite excited when you when you when you both speak. I can feel like my heart starts beating quickly because it feels <laughs> like there's something. I don't know if it's the same for you for you when you're working in Croydon, but it feels like I don't know if you've picked up on this as either. So I can only speak for me that you're doing something quite exciting and innovative, and it feels like there's an element of, of risk in yeah. some way in what you've done and yeah. um, I'm sort of curious like where you feel like you're at and what is the vision of where you're hoping to kind of go to in some way of what you feels next?
3: I mean I, I think it's a, we're in a very interesting time and I know there'll be lots of I'm sure papers and and and, and debates and all sorts of talking about this time but this time of having to rethink services because um you know there, there will be financial pressures across the whole country as a result of covid
1: mm-hmm. and
3: local authorities are not going to be immune to that um and and i think there will be a, there has to be a requirement on us to think about how do we Continue to provide the services, and how do we reshape services and use the resources that we have? So, in one way, um, one can become, you know, a bit low about it, a bit down about it. You know, the economy is, is is not going to do well. You know, let's be honest about that. You know, there are children who haven't. I've got two children, a ten-year-old and a thirteen-year-old. They haven't seen their peers since March. Um, we have no idea what the impact will be on children who already had additional vulnerabilities and will have to, you know, manage this context for a further duration of time and, and what the ramifications will be on the need on services. So I think there's there's that, but there's also, OK, this is what we've got. How can we sit down and think together about how we can be creative how we can pull resources, how can we think outside of the box and how can we do things in a way that will still enable us to practice in the way that we want to and to have hope. So I think it's going to be a a really interesting time, really. And I think being able to hold on to these systemic ideas around, um, you know, thinking about the domains, thinking about Mason's paper around you know taking a risk around doing something different repeating it in an action and repeating it in action all of these ideas I think are going to be really helpful going forward because we're going to have to think on our feet and we're going to have to be creative in order
2: to 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 do what we want to do. Absolutely and I I think there is something central about social work with children And their families, which really brings it back to uh, family relationships and how we, uh, you know, we're working with situations where there's been separation, um, where there's been fragmentation, where there's trauma. And um, over the years, there's been, you know, different ideas in social work about how we best address the needs of our young people. There's something about understanding systemic practice, as Nana said, in the in the context of the current landscape. And part of that landscape is the is the economic position we're in and the and the post-COVID normal, what that's going to look like. Part of it is also the national trend of young people coming into care older mm. and delivering systemic practice with that knowledge. Um, and so A large part of the focus in Croydon is on young people's relationships with their families and how we support them to come back together, which I think goes to the bedrock of what systemic practice is about and and what family work is about. Um, Sometimes it can be challenging for uh, social workers to hold in mind that children are in care and they they have a care plan to run for that child being in care with foster carers in a residential home whatever their situation and that they have a family outside of that
1: Mm -hmm.
2: and I think part of how we deliver systemic practice in this context is supporting creating a space where social workers can hold both those things Mm -hmm. um, and encouraging them to think about young people's development across the life course so not just when they're 18 they're going to leave care and that's where your responsibility to them ends but what yeah. do we need to do now with young people to support their relationships with family members as they go into adulthood?
3: Mm-hmm. And that's
2: been a really... Uh, I, I think people have, been, have embraced that discussion. Um, how we deliver those services in a context of having less <laughs> um, means that social workers are going to become more responsible for having those conversations, mm-hmm. um, not less, because we will simply have less access to qualified practitioners um, than we might have done before. And it's something that in Croydon we've really prioritised and uh, in Nana's role in the the service that we're building in Croydon, we're recognising the importance of having practitioners that are able to support that work. Mm. But it's right that we support foster carers and social workers and people that have primary relationships with young people Mm. rather than bringing in clinical yeah. practitioners from outside yeah. that, we, we, that don't have the relationships. We know the more successful outcomes are supporting the people that do have the relationships. Um, so, so it's all happening in that context.
3: I think that's quite nice, Derek, because I think that lends itself to you know, the clinical therapists that I've recruited in the service who are co-located and the recognition for us, certainly in our practice framework and research bears this out, is the importance of a relationship to the process of change and that if we are able to use and utilise the resources that we have within our service, um, we can, you know, stymie the need for families and children to be continually referred out. You know, social work practice went through that process, didn't it, of case management, and that's, you know, in a way, it's, it's disheartening to think that you qualified as a social worker and you're completing forms to refer families out for interventions that you would want to do yourself, but because of bureaucratization, you 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 know you're kind of paralysed to do that. So I think again, it is it, helping us to think about well, how are we going to attend to need, and how are we going to use our resources in a smart way so that we can do that in the best way that we can. And I think being courageous is really important. I think being courageous and taking risk, and, um, you know, Derek and I are part of a number of panels where we have to make decisions about do we let this child come into care or do we put an intensive wraparound support service around this family and child and holding that risk and being able to do that is, requires us to be brave. Um, And I think contextually, you know, given what's happened with George Floyd, there are a number of contextual factors that are requiring us to look at and have conversations that are difficult and be able to look and talk about things that are not easy. So I think it's an interesting time, really.
0: Yeah, it does sound like a really exciting time to be about, to be a part of something which can be quite scary as well. Um, mm. Scary things yeah, can bring about change, you know. I mean, change Change is not easy, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. So it, it should be, there should be an element of risk involved in that.
3: Absolutely. One can't be brave and courageous without taking risk. It's not mm-hmm. possible. You have to be vulnerable in order to be courageous. The two go hand in hand.
0: It brings me, so this is probably the, the last part of our questions here. Um in terms of like how systemic approaches and, and systemic theory helps with the business of social work in, in kind of managing and assessing risk, in particular child and family social work. So we'd just, just like to hear your ideas of what some of the kind of main main concepts of systemic theory help with that aspect, managing risk.
3: Well, I think you know, Barry Mason's paper, the seminal. Safe Uncertainty paper. I I, I mean, you know, social workers who are doing their training now seem to have read that paper, know that paper, which I think is brilliant. Um, I think coordinated management of meaning, that's a personal favourite of mine, in helping us to think about discourses and stories and narratives Um, and, you know, within that social constructionist umbrella. I think they're very important because given that we work with families and young people where there can be a single story. So Chia Manders and Ngozi Adichichi's uh, TED TED Talk on YouTube, The Danger of Single Story is a brilliant way to help people to engage with those ideas that families are more than just the risk that led them to being known to us. They do have other multiple um, selves and being able to hold on to that. I think is really good and important. I think the ideas around hypothesising and um, thinking about formulation and understanding what is going on, what you're being presented with and being curious, so Gekin et al's paper, I think is really good for that. So I think there's really some good kind of seminal papers that can help us think about our work and how do we work in a way that enables curiosity. And enables us not to have single narratives about families, which are often deficit stories, blaming stories, stories of um, hopelessness, and stories of uh, an inability to change. Those stories are quite powerful. So I think those ideas are helpful. I don't know what you think, Derek.
2: I am um, absolutely. And I think that there's something about. There's a few few things there, is that actually young people can become defined by their risks and families can become defined by their risks. And I think that one of the really practical things that we have done is that on our young people's files, they have a case summary. Um, And that case summary would always begin with um, the things that had happened to them. Well, what what an awful way for us to start a story about ourselves. Uh, So we changed it. And now it starts with a profile of that young person, but very specifically a strengths-based profile about their likes and their dislikes and who they are and what you would want someone to know about you. Rather than it starting with, you know, Johnny was sexually abused by his father when he was five and he came into care when he was six. And he, you know, so there is some of those things that we've done about, um, about how we think about risk. Um, but also about how we step outside of that, because I think it's very easy for people to get into that. And I have started lots of conversations um, with people by asking them, what is this young person's story about themselves? Um, Because I think that can be quite a powerful question um, to get people to think about um, and mentalise their young people. Um, So I think family scripts... Is a, is a really important one. And I think young people's scripts are a really important one because if we're going to do that narrative work and we're gonna help young people reframe and rewrite their stories and step outside of that conception of risk being so uh, paralyzing, um, then we've got to be able to uh, have that conversation. So there's, there's an invitation there for social workers to really engage their young people in a strengths-based way, uh, uh, to to, to use narrative, uh, a great book, uh, Narrative Means to Therapeutic Ends, um, that I've used to help a couple of social workers design pieces of work. Um, But I I think that there are so many ways. The the fit um, to working with, in a context of risk, is so strong, and that's why I think systemic practices have... Uh, such a successful uptake across social care as a profession mm-hmm. is that um, it just creates a different opportunity for us to look at the whole person and the whole family. Um, I also think that it's perhaps a little bit controversial. We are in the business of making judgments that we, we have to do that. It's, an, it's a necessary part of our job in risk management. But when you are trying to create change, between a young person and their family, when a young person that may be traumatised may have been traumatised by their parent, um, to be able to sit in neutrality to facilitate that conversation is really important. And when you've been working, when you've been reading the court bundle and you've been working with the child on the basis of the harm that's happened to them, and you've, been, it can be quite difficult to take a neutral position about that parent, but if we're going to, if we're going to promote young people's relationships with their family, mm-hmm. there is a, we have to be able to use neutrality appropriately um, when we're trying to promote those relationships. Does, does that? I'm not sure if I've made sense there. Does that? Make-
0: Absolutely, that's really, really, really helpful. Really helpful. Julie, have you got any last last questions before? Um, to-
1: no, no. Well, I, I a little. I just wanted to say. Thank you, and I wanted to just comment on that. The word I think the synergy was a word that came up early on in our conversation, and and I can feel the synergy of what you're doing. Um, and I really appreciate the way that you've explained everything because I was a little bit nervous before this podcast because I said at the beginning, like I really, I did a placement for a little bit um, for social work, and I, I just think that um you spoke very eloquently very clearly very accessibly um so thank you so much and I'm going to go away and read lots of these papers again you've inspired me <laughs> to go <and> go <laughs> deeper oh, for sure so thank you thank and you, I'm excited Judy. to see what happens in Croydon I'm going to keep my yeah. eye on it now keep my yeah. eye there
2: we're on a journey yeah I mean, Thank Derek,
1: I, I was interested, Derek, what it's like for you. I don't know how, if you've been in touch with Says or not, what it's like to see him now at the end of this journey of the systemic training. Sez Cesc- and I have
2: parted ways and come back together a number of times during our careers. Um, mm-hmm. So I know I haven't seen the last of Cesc. Um And I think he's going to, he's, he's, uh, he's always uh, been wonderful to be around because... He brings so much passion. Um, and it's great to see him again, and it's great to see him following that path. I remember when he started his training, um, and when he was saying, you know there's, there was something about social work that, that, that was brilliant and something that just he says knew no, it wasn't quite where, where he wanted to be working. And I think that what he's doing now is it seems to be really fulfilling. Um, so it's such a pleasure to see you again, says, and wow. and to see that you're doing so well.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Thank no. you, Derek. It's really nice to hear.
2: Oh, that's lovely. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> but it's been a real pleasure. And been... oh,
3: thank you.
0: Thank you very much for, your... for all of that. Thank it's you. been nice. Thank you, Derek. thank
3: you for the opportunity. Thank Thanks, you. guys.